have your Bible open at Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, some people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered in leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and prayed. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, would you quieten our minds, still our souls, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts that are eager and willing to be transformed by your spirit. Father, we come expectantly tonight, expecting you to do a mighty work in us and through us. So by your word and through your spirit, do that work we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you, how would you finish this sentence? Jesus came to dot, dot, dot. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus leave the luxuries of heaven to come to earth? What was his mission? What was his purpose? So you could say Jesus came to set us free. That would be a good answer. I mean, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we could be a church all about freedom. You know, freedom from the oppressed, freedom from the blind, freedom for the prisoners. That's a good thing to focus on. But it's not the main game, is it? You could say Jesus came to show compassion and kindness and care. That is true, isn't it? And so we could be a church all about caring for the poor and caring for the needy and loving the homeless. And that's a good thing to focus on. But it's not the main game. So why did Jesus come? You've got to understand that because if you want to live a a Christian life where you flourish and you thrive, you've got to make sure that your focus is aligned to why Jesus came. Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 31, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, to call upright good people. I've come to call sinners to repentance. That's the main game. It's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, says Jesus, but the sick. And you know that's true, because when was the last time you went to the doctors to tell him that you're healthy? When was the last time you went to the doctor and said, I'm just here today to tell you how wonderful I am, how fit I am. Look at me, I've got bulging muscles and a a great heart and perfect complexion. I am just so healthy. You go to the doctors because you're sick. You go to the doctors because you know you've got a problem that you can't fix, and you need somebody else to fix it for you. If you are too proud to go to the doctors, there's no cure for your sickness. And Jesus said, I haven't come to call the righteous, to call people who think they're okay, who think they're good, who think they need nothing from God. 
Jesus can't help those kind of people. But he's come to call sinners, to call people, men and women, who recognize they've got a heart problem called sin, who recognize they're not perfect, they are wicked and evil. And to call them to repentance, call them to turn back and seek forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. He came to call what I've called fessed up, forgiven followers. That's his mission. To call men and women who recognize their sin, who unbelievably accept his forgiveness and live their lives following him. And when you understand that, it changes your whole view of church. Because church is not about good people, is it? It's about forgiven people. Church is not for upright, righteous people who think they're wonderful. Church is for people who recognize they're not wonderful, but they've got a wonderful Savior. And that's why Jesus came. So I'm going to preach Luke 5 slightly differently tonight because this is narrative. This is action-packed. You're supposed to read the Gospels with this excitement. So grab your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 5. And Jesus is calling disciples and there's something really weird, something really bizarre about this because there's no professional theologians, there's no religious people. He chooses fishermen and lepers and paralytics and tax collectors. It's a weird bunch of people. And we should sit here tonight to think that's us. We're a weird bunch of people. And what's also unusual is that that Jesus is claiming to be God. And we'd expect that if you want to be a friend of this Jesus man, that you'd have to be perfect to be his friend, because he is perfect. And Jesus seems to be saying the exact opposite. If you want to be his friend, you have to recognize that you're not perfect, but you need forgiveness. Let's get into the story. One day, Jesus was standing by a lake, and people were there. They were crowding to hear him preach and to teach. They wanted to hear the word of God, verse 1. And so Jesus chose his pulpit. He chose a fishing boat about 20 to 30 feet long. And he grabbed a boat, and he pushed off the shore, and he sat down, verse two, because, verse 3, because that's the, the posture of a preacher or a teacher, a rabbi. And he's teaching And then something strange happens in verse 4 because you've got a carpenter who decides to tell a fisherman how to fish. He says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon's kind of frustrated. He's thinking, look, I know it's not a good night for fishing. We've been out all night. We've caught nothing. But I love how Simon is so respectful. He says, master... Because you have said so, I will take you at your word, Jesus. Okay, we'll put down the nets again. And then the miracle happens. It's, it's this enormous catch. It's so large that the, the nets begin to break and the, the boats begin to sink. And that is miraculous. Even more miraculous is Simon Peter. When he's standing before the Lord Jesus and he recognizes who Jesus is, what does he do? He fell down at his knees. 
And he says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He says, Lord, I am not worthy to be in your presence. You are awesome, and I am not. Go away from me. He says, I can't be near you, Jesus, because I am so sinful. And Jesus does not say, that's right, you filthy wretches, so they get away from me. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. The most common command in the Bible, don't fear. You're now my friend. And from now on, you will fish for people. Almost like the, the enormous catch is a, a visual aid for how many people Jesus will, uh, Peter will lead to Christ. And then something else ex- extraordinary happens in verse 11. They, they pulled their boats up to shore and they left everything. That's extraordinary. They, they've just had the biggest catch of their life. They're set up for life, aren't they? They could sell all those fish and they could retire early and buy a nice house. But they turn their back on that and they leave everything behind and they, they follow Jesus. Another day, Jesus is on, on a town and a man came along, verse 12, who was covered in leprosy. And the people are shouting, Leper! Because that's what they do when they see someone who's unclean. Leper, get away, unclean. Because in those days, you could not associate with someone who was unclean because you'd be made unclean. And they were the outcasts. They were the filthy ones. Ebola, get away from me. And I expected Jesus to go, get away. But when the leper saw Jesus... Like Simon Peter, he fell, this time with his face to the ground. He lies prostrate on the ground. A a posture of humility, of utter, utter desperation. And he's begging Jesus. Lord, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love that. He's saying, Jesus, you can make me clean. Jesus, you have the power to cleanse me. You have the authority to cleanse me. I know, Jesus, that you can make me whole and make me clean. I'm not questioning your capability. I'm questioning your compassion, Jesus, if you are willing. Lord, are you willing? And then the shock happens. Jesus reached out his hand and he physically touched a leper. In those days, if you touched someone unclean, you became unclean. But it's almost like a, a total reversal that the, the perfectly clean Jesus, rather than becoming unclean by the leper, is transferring his, per, transferring his perfectly clean status to the unclean man. And Jesus says, I am willing. Of course he's willing. That's Jesus. He's full of compassion. I am willing. Be clean, he says. And the man is totally cleansed. But Jesus wants to obey the law. And so, according to Leviticus 14, that the priest has to declare a leper clean. And so, he sends the leper off to the priest. And news is spreading about how wonderful Jesus is. And crowds are flocking. And Jesus withdraws to pray, as he often does. Another day, they're at a house and... The crowds are there bringing their sick and their lame and they want healing. 
And these men appear carrying a man, a paralyzed man on a mat. And they, they try to get to the house, but they can't because of the clouds. And so they climb onto the roof and they dig a hole in the roof. And they, they lower the man right down to the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus, verse 19. And when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the men, he said to the paralyzed man, friend, it's a beautiful word, friend, loved one. Your sins are forgiven. I imagine the paralyzed man is thinking, that's very nice, Jesus, but actually I'd like my legs to work. That's my problem, my leg problem, not my sin problem. Of course he's wrong, and the biggest need is his sin, not his legs working. And the religious people in verse 21, the Pharisees, are all muttering and tutting to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's a good question. It's a right question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is no one. Only God can forgive sins. And so they are rightly thinking that Jesus is speaking blasphemy unless he is God. And Jesus knew what they were thinking and they asked, well, why are you thinking these things? And Jesus poses this question, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, Get up and walk. Now, which is easier? Now, now, we think it's easy to say your sins are forgiven because there's no real tangible proof or visible proof of that, is it? I can just say your sins are forgiven. Easy to say words, isn't it? But to say get up and walk, if he doesn't get up and walk, then I'll look an idiot. But actually, it's the wrong way around because for the religious people, they're thinking, it's much harder to say your sins are forgiven because only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus is saying your sins are forgiven, he must be claiming to be God. And Jesus said, I want you to know that the, the Son of Man, that is Daniel chapter 7, the promised one who would come, the Messiah has the authority, has the right, has the, the power to forgive sins. He really does. So Jesus says to the paralyzed man, get up and walk. And he does. And for the paralyzed man, he knows his legs have been healed and his heart's been healed. And after that, verse 27, Jesus went out and he saw a filthy, wretched scumbag. An evil, wicked, manipulating, vile man whose name was Levi, a tax collector that we would spit on. And Jesus says to the scumbag, follow me. I want to be your friend. I wonder how Levi felt at that point. And Levi got up and he, like Simon, left everything and followed Jesus. Do you remember when you were first really excited about knowing Jesus and you invited all your friends around for a dinner party and had a little guest speaker to talk about Jesus? Levi goes one better. He invites Jesus himself to his dinner party. He holds a great banquet and he fills his house with tax collectors and sinners and the prostitute would be there and the adulterer would be there and the homeless guy and the alcoholic and the drug addict and the scumbags of this world, they'd all be there. 
because they're the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. But the religious people, the Bible scholars, the evangelical Bible-believing people, they are scoffing, going, why do you eat with these wretched sinners? Because we're good at judging people, aren't we? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Ouch. Ouch. He's saying, you religious people, you think you're good, but you're not. You religious people, you are sick. You are sick and you need a heart transplant. You need Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm not a fisherman. I'm not a leper. And I'm not a paralyzed man. I'm not a tax collector. But I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Who needs a saviour. That's what Luke 5 is all about. Fessed up. Forgiven. Followers of Jesus. So let me ask you, when was the last time that, like Simon Peter, you got on your knees, you fell on your knees before Jesus and you said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful person. Do you have that realistic view about yourself that you are a sinner? You're You're not good, you're not perfect. That was the problem with these religious people. They thought they were righteous, they thought they were okay. And Jesus is really blunt. He says, I cannot help you if you think you're okay. Do you understand that? That Jesus can't help you if you think that you're perfectly healthy and there's nothing wrong with you spiritually. If you think you're this perfect person, then Jesus cannot help you. Jesus comes to help the people who recognize they're not okay. And part of becoming a Christian is to humbly Be self-aware in the eyes of a holy God, in, in in the eyes of a perfect, majestic, pure God. We are not good. We are sick. We've got this heart problem called sin. You know, Levi, the tax collector, he he would know that he's not worthy. And I just wonder whether here on the lower North Shore we have this sort of this very high view of ourselves. And we are, we are quite good, aren't we, at putting on the facade and displaying to the world what nice people we are and what good people we are and what kind people we are. But deep in our hearts, we know that we think, say, and do things that are offensive to God. It's called sin. Jesus came for sinners. You know, we don't sing much about sin today. We, all the modern songs talk about shame or sorrow. Because that word sin is a bit too confronting, isn't it? I love that line in the song we sang last week. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene and wonder how he can love me, a sinner. A sinner condemned and clean. How marvellous, how wonderful. 
for my daily prayers, I use this book called The, the Valley of Vision. This was Tuesday's prayer. It's called Yet I Sin. Eternal Father, thou art good beyond all thought. But I am vile, wretched, miserable, and blind. My lips are ready to confess, but my heart is slow to feel, and my ways reluctant to amend. So I bring my soul to thee. Break it, wound it, bend it, mold it. All my sins I mourn, lament, and for them I cry pardon. Work in me more profound and abiding repentance. Give me the fullness of a godly grief that trembles and fears. Grant that through the tears of repentance, the tears of repentance, I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of your saving cross. Friends, it's a good thing. It's a right thing to get on our knees and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. not just fessed up people, we are forgiven people. We are forgiven. See what Jesus said to the paralytic, verse 20? Friend, my friend, my beloved one, literally, your, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. There's a confidence and assurance, whatever you've done, past, present, future, I, I forgive you. See, if you've met Jesus, if if you've come to Jesus and you've acknowledged that you're not worthy and you've looked at Jesus and you said, Lord, I'm not worthy, then Jesus says those words to you, your sins are forgiven. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. When when the Bible talks about forgiveness, it talks about how, how God doesn't see your sins, God puts them to the bottom of the ocean as far as the east is from the west so far as God removes your sins from us that's what Jesus has the authority and the power to do to take your sins and to chuck them to the bottom of the ocean so that you cannot get hold of them again and you are free and you are forgiven and you are liberated you're cleansed Corey Ten Boom said this Jesus loves sinners He only loves sinners. Jesus has never turned away anyone who came to him for forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross for sinners, not for respectable people. That's the beauty of the cross, isn't it? That that, that Jesus said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. But for us, it's more than words, isn't it? For us, it's action as well, that, that Jesus himself walked up a lonely hill and was nailed to a cross and their blood was shed because blood was the symbol of forgiveness. He's dying in your place. Your sin's on his shoulders so that you can be forgiven. And at a cross, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. And then it is finished. If you're here tonight as a Christian, you need to be confident and certain there's nothing in your life that you have done, past, present and future, that Jesus did not die for and cannot forgive. I keep meeting Christians who almost, they accept that God has forgiven them, but 
they, they can't forgive themselves. And so they wander around feeling guilty all the time and weighed down by this guilt at a past failing. And to be honest, that's a bit offensive to God. Because he's done it all for you. He's died for you. So why would you hold on to it? Let it go. And there's a, there's a lightness and there's a, a freedom that comes when you've grasped total forgiveness in Jesus. I still remember being in the North Shore Hospital in February last year. And I sat down with Mahia Maleki, who is a member of our 330 church. And just three weeks before, he'd broken his neck in a surfing accident. And he was paralyzed. And we sat down and we were doing Christianity Explored on my laptop. And we were looking about the, 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 the man of the, the, the story of the paralyzed man. And Mahia said to me, uh, stop, the, stop the DVD. What, what does that word paralyzed mean? Because he's, he's a Farsi speaker. And I said, oh, paralyzed means that your legs don't work. And Mahia said, what, like me? I said, yeah, like you. And so Mahia said to me, so what Jesus is saying is that this man's got two problems. His legs don't work and he needs forgiveness of sins. But his bigger problem is forgiveness of sins more than his legs working. Took a deep breath and went, Yeah, his biggest problem is forgiveness of sins, more his legs working again. And my hair said, Yeah, he's right. I need forgiveness of sins more than my legs working. And he received forgiveness of his sins because he gave his life to Christ. And he is liberated, he's set free from all his past failings. And there's a lightness about him now. If you're here tonight and you've never really grasped forgiveness, and you're holding on to past hurts, past failings, past sins, let them go. Leave them at at the cross. And walk out of this church tonight knowing you are totally free. So we're fessed up forgiven followers of Jesus. You can spot the people who really know they're forgiven because there's total transformation. Their attitudes, their values, their characters, their ambitions, their purpose, their conversation is all different. See how Simon Peter in verse 11, he, he left everything. Yes, he left the biggest catch of his life. He turned his back on a lifetime of security to follow his saviour, the Lord Jesus. Same with Levi in verse 28. He got up and like Simon Peter, he, he left everything behind. He left his old way behind. He left his old habits, his old lifestyle, his old stuff. And he followed Jesus. That's what Jesus asked you to do, is to, to leave your past behind you. Your old ways, your old habits. And yeah, your old securities. Because when you've understood that your biggest need is forgiveness and Jesus, Jesus forgives you, you suddenly understand that your identity and your purpose and your security is not in the stuff of this world, but it's in following Jesus.
Someone said this. He said, every follower is always a believer. But not every believer is necessarily a follower. And that perplexed me. But then I realized that it is possible, you know, to confess your sins and to accept forgiveness. But never really follow Jesus. It's almost like you accept forgiveness and still hold on to all the things of this world and find your security in your stuff. But the true disciple puts Jesus number one and follows him wherever he leads you and obeys him and trusts him and repents and lives a life of obedience to their saviour. You you can tell the true followers. There's, There's praise on their lips. There's an awe in their heart. There's a joy. They want to go Jesus' way. It did strike me this week that those first followers, those first followers are a weird bunch, aren't they? Fishermen, lepers, paralytics, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, adulterers. They're the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. They're the kind of people that Jesus called. And I hope you've grasped that, that Jesus did not come just to call home-owning, trendy, fashionable, latte-sipping, lower North Shore people. This church should be full of weird, eclectic people. Alcoholics, drug addicts, mental health issues, PhD students, and the person who dropped out of school age 14. Homeowners and people who would never own a home in their whole life. Because that's what Jesus came for. All people need forgiveness. And Jesus died for all people. So who are we? Who are we to judge people and define who should come to Christ? But if you really follow Jesus and you love Jesus, you should be passionate and bold about wanting to share the forgiveness that Jesus brings. If I told you right now that I just heard about a doctor in North Sydney who could cure every single cancer, I'm guessing that you know somebody that you want to take to that doctor tonight. If if I told you I'd find a doctor up in I don't know, Taramoa, who could heal every Alzheimer's patient. I'm guessing you can know people to take him to tonight. And I'm here to tell you that I found the person. I found the person who can forgive your sins. And you could bring people to him tonight, couldn't you? His name is Jesus. He's the most compassionate, kind, powerful, extraordinary man that ever lived. Let's be bold in in telling other people about him. It's my prayer. My prayer is that you would know that you are forgiven. That you'd follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And you'd love just to tell other people about how wonderful and how marvelous Jesus is. So are you this fessed up, forgiven follower? Are you a fessed up, forgiven follower? follower of Jesus.